Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today's guest host is Anna Cowley Ford. Anna Cowley Ford is a post-disciplinary artist from rural West Texas. Using her experiences living with chronic health conditions as a touchstone, Ford explores the often bizarre world of living with chronic pain and disabilities. Along with manifesting sensory experiences, her artwork conveys the social and domestic impacts of health conditions on a chronic scale and the patient's experience navigating the U.S. healthcare system. Ford's practice includes, but is not limited to, functional and sculptural ceramics, textiles, large-scale installations, video, and accumulated medical objects and documents. Artwork like self-portrait ceramic busts and fabric figures instigate conversations around the body, non-visible sensory experiences, and disability. After earning a BA in art from Grinnell College in 2011, Anna Cowley Ford established a studio practice and has shown in juried and solo exhibitions nationally and internationally, including in Dallas, New Orleans, Des Moines, and Leeds, UK. She will complete a Master of Fine Art in Studio Art in May 2022 from Maine College of Art and Design. Afterwards, she will continue her visual art studio practice. This includes making a range of work that can be exhibited in galleries and exhibitions and sold throughout her website and stores. When not in the studio or raising heck, Cowley Ford can be found in the garden. Hi, welcome to the Able Voices podcast. My name is Anna Cowley Ford, and I will be the guest host this episode. I am a visual artist from West Texas that visualizes the non-visible sensory experiences associated with chronic health conditions, the livelihood impacts of living with chronic illness, and navigating the healthcare industry. Today, we are visiting with Mei-Ling Kopecki. Mei-Ling is an artist based in Plymouth, Minnesota. She specializes in highly detailed, hyper-realistic drawings and paintings. Mei-Ling received a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Minnesota and a Master of Fine Arts from the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Her work has been published in New American Paintings and has received multiple awards and exhibitions across the U.S. She was a grant recipient of the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council's Next Step Fund in 2019 and was awarded the MCAD MFA Trustees Scholarship. This past year, Kopecki was awarded second place for the Kennedy Center VSA Emerging Young Artist Competition in Washington, D.C., where she advocated for students with disabilities and accessibility in the arts. Mei-Ling's work has also been featured in Momentum Magazine, Fox 9 News, and the Star Tribune. She has been an art instructor for both adults and children and is currently the Learning Center Coordinator in the Learning Center and Accessibility Services Department at MCAD. Welcome, Mei-Ling. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us your story as an artist. How did you start and how did you get to where you are today? So I've been an artist since before I can remember. My parents still have drawings and paintings when I was like one or two. 
At a young age, my passion for detail and realism was already clear. I often think back to this drawing I did of a bee when I was five. I had to make sure to draw the head, thorax, and the abdomen of the bee to make it more anatomically correct. And that trend of being like super detail-oriented has continued to this day. Age five is also when I started to use acrylic paint, which is one of my favorite mediums to use. I learned how to use acrylics during an art class I took over the summer after kindergarten, and the instructor, Chris Holtmeyer, told my parents that I would grow up to be an artist. I've actually remained friends with Chris to this day, and now over 20 years later, she can kind of look at my parents like, told you so, and so, yeah, she knew what she was talking about. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it is. It's been really great to keep in contact with her throughout the years, and she's kind of yeah. been like a mentor to me as well. Though for a while, it didn't seem like I was going to go into the arts career-wise. My parents were super supportive anyway, sending um, my younger sister and I to art and music classes and encouraging us to follow our passions. Both of my parents have their master's degrees in computer science, actually, and I had originally planned on following their footsteps. I really like programming. I really like, you know, math, science and those subjects. So that's what I was planning to do. But after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or MS when I was 15, I really had to rethink my trajectory. And throughout all of the changes and struggles that I went through after the diagnosis, I consistently turned to art as a way to cope. Yeah, that's really powerful and same. Like it is the coping mechanism sometimes that can keep us going on. I'd like you to tell us about your experiences as a person with a disability and an artist with a disability. You mentioned um, getting a diagnosis when you were 15. So yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, so first of all, I have just a bit of information about multiple sclerosis. So MS is a chronic disease in which the immune system attacks the nerves in the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord. The immune system damages the myelin sheath, which is the protective coating on nerves, and that affects the nerve's ability to transmit signals. This results in a really wide range of symptoms, but some common symptoms are fatigue, numbness, cognitive problems, vision problems, temperature sensitivity, and paralysis. There are many more, but these are also just symptoms that I have also experienced. Since I was only 15, when I was diagnosed with MS, I often struggled talking about the disease. I was met with a lot of skepticism when asking for help. A lot of people would say things like, but you look fine, or you're too young to be sick. And according to the National MS Society, only about three to 5% of MS patients experienced disease onset before the age of 16. So it was a pretty alienating experience. I didn't yeah. know anybody else my age with MS, and I felt like my peers didn't really understand what I was going through. Sometimes I actually started to have imposter syndrome and question my own symptoms, wondering if like, oh, maybe this is in my head, you know? So my art now kind of acts as a response to the skepticism that I faced. It visualizes how I navigate the world with MS, exploring topics like my relationship with healthcare, the quote-unquote, proof of my illness as evidenced in my MRI scans and how I and others perceive the world when struggling with MS symptoms. Um, my art tends to be smaller in scale since that's more accessible for me and doesn't require as much physical effort. Fatigue is a super common symptom of MS, so working smaller is one of the ways that I've learned to conserve energy. And as I've shared more and more of my art, I've met other people who are my age with MS or were the same age when they're diagnosed. And it has been a super rewarding and validating experience. I think wow. that art 
acts as a visual language that can bring people together. And by sharing my story through my artwork, I hope to you know, help spread awareness about how invisible disabilities can affect everyday life and also encourage others to share their stories and advocate for themselves. Wow. Okay. So many things that I wrote down. I am really connecting with a lot of what you're talking about. We have different conditions that we're living with, but the skepticism of, you know, Mm -hmm. you look fine, what's wrong, you know, being able to tolerate it for a small amount of time, but then there being a point of like, okay, well now you're just lazy. So yeah, I also really turned to art as a way of trying to explain what was going on. Um, For me, I was in college. And so none of my friends were understanding or experienced anything similar. And so, yeah, that was kind of the catalyst for me too, of like, how can I explain this to other people? How can I visualize this when, yeah, I do look fine, but I'm not. Exactly. And there's just so much kind of embarrassment sometimes too, when people are kind of questioning your symptoms and your experiences. Like I have a disabled parking permit that I have needed in the past, but you know, when using it, I've gotten looks like, well, you're walking, you're fine. And I feel, I have felt many times, even when I felt maybe I should use it today, but then some voice in the back of my head is saying, no, don't do that. You don't actually need it. People are going to give you weird looks and it's just really uncomfortable. Yeah. I also really resonated when you were talking about proof of illness and that there needing to be some sort of medical test that things can register on in mm-hmm. order for it to be taken seriously. With chronic migraines, there are no tests. So, you know, because of that, it's also one of the most under-researched conditions. So can you talk more about like that proof of illness and what that I mean, because that's also making you go through the healthcare systems and get more expensive tests. And Mm -hmm. I I think also like how having to have a proof of illness affects you and your well-being. Mm -hmm. So the, the need to have a proof of illness to kind of show other people, hey, my symptoms are valid is what inspired me to start painting my MRI scans. So I requested all of my MRI scans to be sent to me because one thing as a patient, your scans are your property. You can have them. Um, so they were sent to me on a CD and I just scoured through thousands of images to find certain scans that I wanted to paint. So I would look at the scans on my computer and then paint them um, in gouache or watercolor or acrylic. One of the one of my favorite scan paintings that I did was back in 2020. It was inspired by the 10 year challenge that was on Instagram at the time where people would take a photo of them from 10 years ago and then compare that to a current photo to say, look at my glow up or like, look at how I've changed. And so I actually did that with my MRI scans. I took scans Mm -hmm. from 2010 and then 2020. And it was like, here's the 10 year challenge. You can see that there are more areas of damage in the 2020 scans versus the 2010 scans. So I just really wanted to share that with the world as kind of like, you know, it's a little snarky to like, Hey, it is all in my head. Quite literally, there's damage there. Um, also, I wanted to paint the scans because I find painting to be a very intimate act. And through the process of 
really studying the skins in great detail as I was painting. In a way, I was also addressing my discomfort and imposter syndrome because I was looking clearly at the proof and that validated how I felt and the symptoms that I was going through. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Not like that you're dealing with all of that, of course, but like amazing of like the 10 year challenge, like it's sassy, but it's also a spin on this thing that a lot of people are doing and not thinking about, you know, how, what a 10 year challenge looks like for other people. It's not always a glow up. I know that our listeners would like to hear about the arts education that you received. Can you talk about how you studied the arts and how you continue to learn today? And I would also like to know arts education outside of academia as well. Mm, Right. So as I mentioned previously, my parents were super supportive and they paid for me to go to art classes every summer. Um, Also, I was pretty lucky to be in a school district where the arts were very valued. So at school, I had art classes all throughout K through 12. And that was, that's really great. Um, But as far as, you know, after K through 12, I received my Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Minnesota, and my Master of Fine Arts from the Minneapolis College of Art and Design, or MCAD. During undergrad, that was when I decided that I wanted to kind of stay in academia for my career. So I had already kind of had experience with teaching kids and adults by helping Chris Holtmeyer, who I mentioned earlier, who I had stayed in contact with. And she reached out asking like, hey, do you want to be a TA for some of these classes? Or do you want to kind of, you know, learn how to teach art? So that was when I decided that I was planning on teaching. My mom was a computer science professor. My grandfather was an English professor. My great grandfather was an art professor. So I feel like teaching kind of runs in my blood. So the goal was to get a BFA, then MFA, and then teach in higher education. During my time in the BFA program, my work focused on my personal experiences that related to my biracial identity, specifically being half Chinese. It was at this point that I started to really think about what affects how I view the world every day. Like, what do I consider to be, quote unquote, typical, right? So after earning my BFA in 2018, remember at the time I still wasn't talking about having MS because I was a little kind of afraid of how it would be received. I took a short break from school to focus on creating art. And this is when I started to think about creating artwork about MS. One of the professors I had had at the University of Minnesota for many classes, um, his name is Clarence Morgan, he's now retired. He had often asked me what I wanted to say through my work. He had often encouraged me to really be sharing stories and my experiences and messages through my work. So I ended up reaching out to him after graduating, like, hey, I have this idea. I want to start talking about MS. And he said, go for it, do it. So I had that sort of support. So in 2019, that's when I received the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council's Next Step Fund. And I ended up using that to create an accessible home studio space. You know, sometimes I can't leave the house. And I just didn't think that having a studio outside of the home was really um, sustainable. So after that, I just kind of went crazy with the MS art. I painted a lot of indoor spaces from hospitals and doctor's offices to explore how those spaces that had once filled me with anxiety had begun to feel familiar over time. Because, you know, as someone with a chronic illness, you're going to appointments on a fairly regular basis. So I give the paintings titles like Welcome Back, 
or familiarity <laughs> and comfort. Um, Old friend. <laughs> I know. I At one point, one of my paintings is of a hospital scene at the Mayo Clinic, which is where I'm a patient. And um, I put, instead of the number of the room that's on the outside, that sign, I put a welcome back sign there because it was <laughs> one of those times where I had to get, um, I had active lesions in my brain and I had to go there five days in a row to get infusions to help with the inflammation and I was just like oh hi everyone I'm back yeah it's like you're a celebrity and this is your like personal like green room (laughs) every six months I need to have blood work done at my local clinic I go and they're like oh hi Meiling have you been working on any art recently you know it's like I know you like going into the coffee shop (laughs) yeah so that was what I was making um, prior to the MFA program uh, at MCAD. I started the MFA program in 2020, right during the midst of the pandemic. But this actually worked out quite well for me because online classes are way more accessible personally. And that kind of was a little happy accident, I'd say. I graduated with my MFA in 2022. And shortly after that is when I began working full time in the Learning Center and Accessibility Services Department, and which is awesome because MCAD is an art school. So every day I'm surrounded by fellow artists and creatives, and I feel like I'm constantly learning just by being around them and talking to them. I'd also say one of the best ways to learn art is by doing it. So I do still try to carve out a little time each week to focus on my own practice. Amazing. Yeah. I. It's so hard to, especially when dealing with fatigue, to have time outside of the job and the everyday commitments, like making work is the first thing that goes for me, which is wild because that's also the thing that like keeps me alive and functioning. Um, So it's a really interesting balance. So can that segues into, um, can you share about your experiences navigating the art world and or academia as a person with disability? I'm very passionate about this topic. My experiences as a student with a disability is why I ultimately decided to go into the field of disability services. I had a 504 plan in high school, and I also had disability accommodations all throughout undergrad and grad school. Um, Also, you mentioned chronic migraines earlier. I also have chronic migraines. I've had them since I was at least six or seven, I think. I was pretty young. But I remember being in elementary school, just sitting in class with a lot of pain, I would often go to the nurse's office because they had some beds in there where it was dark and quiet and I could lie down. But after, you know, going on a fairly regular basis, one day the nurse kind of looked at me with this kind of like knowing look. And she asked me, are you sure you have a headache? And okay, if I'm anything, I am a rule follower. My goal was to always get 100% on all my assignments and never do anything wrong ever. So after the nurse kind of implied that I was faking a headache, maybe, I don't know, to get out of class, I just felt like, oh, I can't go back here. I can't ask for help again. I was too just kind of discouraged by that. So I also didn't know that I was having migraines at the time. I was just like, oh, everybody just wakes up in pain, right? And I ended up getting a pretty high um, uh, pain tolerance after that point. And I thought, oh, other people are just better at handling lights and noises and smells and whatnot. So that was the first time I felt like I couldn't ask for help if I had health problems at school. Um, But after being diagnosed with MS due to pretty debilitating and fatigue and other MS symptoms, that's when I found that online classes were a lot easier for me. 
So what I ended up doing is taking PSEO classes in high school, meaning I was able to take college classes that were offered online for both high school and college credit. However, once again, I found myself in situations where authority figures weren't believing what I was telling them. A specific example is one of the instructors for a PSEO class I took seemed a little annoyed when I told him I wouldn't be able to finish my project on time due to a flare-up. He said something like, but you were fine last week. Like, what's the problem? And so for a while, I just didn't want to ask for help or let teachers Mm -hmm. know what was going on, which was not helpful for me at all. However, I did end up getting better at talking to professors in undergrad with more practice and help from my parents encouraging me, you know, and by grad school, I had kind of mastered it. Um, My entire thesis was about having MS anyway. But yeah, it was a lot of those moments where I thought like, oh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking about having MS if I'm going to, if this is going to be the response. So yeah, during the MFA program at MCAD, that is when I was really talking about having MS. I was really open about it. And that's also when I started to consider working in the field of disability services in education. I was a graduate assistant in the Learning Center and Accessibility Services Department at the time. And like I mentioned, my whole thesis process uh, project was about the experience of being a student with an invisible disability. So while I was originally planning on becoming a professor, that was when I kind of shifted what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to work more one-on-one with students and also help them how to learn how to advocate for themselves by sharing my own experiences and teaching them the things that I had learned. I also wanted to be able to teach faculty members about accommodations and invisible illnesses. So hopefully the students would have an easier time talking to their faculty members and wouldn't have sort of experiences that I did. I should also mention that most of my teachers and professors I had were great, but you know, even having a few question my symptoms and experiences was pretty discouraging. Yep. Same for me too. Um, for the most part, faculty were very understanding, but it only takes one yep. not great experience to just have a huge impact on how you try navigating things. Then mm-hmm. that's really important because in academia, but also all facets of our job economy, we just like don't have enough support for people with disabilities. And so we need, we need more of you doing this work because it's so important to have that support. Um, So you're very active as an artist. Do you have any current work that you would like to share? Yeah. So currently I'm continuing to share my experiences through my work and spread MS awareness. Well, I really would like to eventually continue my MRI paintings, I currently am focusing on visualizing MS symptoms. My thesis work is actually currently in an exhibition called Chronicles of the Chronic at the Rochester Art Center in Rochester, Minnesota, which was curated by a fellow MCAD MFA alum, Zoe Chanel. My work is right by your work, Anna, which is super cool. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I had the opportunity of visiting the gallery a couple weekends ago, and I was like, oh, there it is. So while most of my MS symptom drawings are done from a point of view perspective, I'm also thinking about what others might see if they could see the invisible symptoms. So that's what led to the life-size drawing titled Self-Portrait, Multiple Sclerosis, and My Body. I created an outline of my body, and then I layered various drawings on top that show what those areas of my body might look like when I'm experiencing different symptoms. For example, 
I drew one side of my face as if it were made of stone to reflect a time when I was suffering from partial facial paralysis. Alongside that self-portrait, I also wanted to share the stories and experiences of other young people with MS. I interviewed a few college students with MS that I had met online, asking them to describe a time where MS symptoms interfered with their academic experience. I then created drawings to visualize those symptoms, and their stories are displayed on iPads below the drawings in both written and audio formats. Um, in addition to my work in that exhibition, I've started to create more point of view paintings recently, trying to get back into painting. This past summer, I focused on my experiences with specifically heat intolerance, which is another MS symptom that seems to be getting worse every year. I created a painting that shows my hand kind of fading away while I look at a group of daisies and the image becomes doubled and blurry as you look further to the sides. This reflects how heat can distort my vision and also kind of make my hands feel weak. Um, I'm actually working on another heat intolerance painting right now, but now that the semester has started and I'm meeting with students all day, I'm not sure when I'll actually complete that one, but I'm chipping away at it. And um, that's mainly what I've been working on recently. Awesome. It's always good to have something in progress to keep keep working on. Um, yeah. I We have so much to talk about. <laughs> we have so much to talk about. I want to keep talking um, because there's a lot of overlap happening in our work about, you know, visualizing the sensory experiences. Um, and I love that you are also incorporating other people's experiences into your work. That's been a hurdle for me with my own, like, I don't know, isolation, that it's like hard for me to, I don't know, schedule, reach out, make things happen mm -hmm. with others. Thank you so much for sharing about your work, your life, your experiences. I'm really thankful that Zoe brought us together with that exhibition. Yeah. Um, and I would love to visit with you more. What advice would you give to a young artist with a disability? Do your best to keep making work and find community. There are many young artists with disabilities who post their work online, and it can be super inspiring to look at their art and also connect with them. One example of an opportunity to meet other young artists with disabilities that I recently had was in 2022 when I won second prize for the Kennedy Center's VSA Emerging Young Artists Program. This included a trip to Washington, D.C. and a chance to meet the other artists, and it was a super amazing experience to hear them share their stories and how they've navigated the art world with their various disabilities. By the way, if you're between the ages of 16 and 25, you should definitely enter that competition next year. You can also view the catalogs from previous years online if you'd like to learn more information about the artists. Another bit of advice, don't be discouraged if things don't go as planned. Being able to adapt can be more important than anything, and sometimes you have to modify the way you do things to keep creating. For example, I love painting, but for a while during grad school, I found that painting just wasn't as sustainable for me. It wasn't as accessible for me, so I switched to drawing. It's also important to be honest with yourself and know what your body needs. During undergrad, I was often told, often told by my classmates that, oh, you should try, you know, working larger. But I stood my ground and continued to work smaller because I acknowledged what was realistic for me at the time based on how my MS symptoms were treating me. Speaking of symptoms, please keep in mind that even if you need to take a break, you're still an artist. You haven't failed just because you needed to stop creating for a while. 
You can't expect yourself to be at 100% all the time and putting your health first is most important. Wow. That is so beautifully said and kind of made my eyes water because those are all things I need to be hearing right now. So thank you so much, um, Mei Ling. This has been really amazing to visit with you. It's been my pleasure. Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, Find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.